Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, since some of you listening may be new, we're going to do a quick recap. Tiffany, what is this podcast for those people who haven't heard it? It's a podcast about the expat life. I'm an expat. Katie is a repat. She was an expat last year. And we had been friends for the better part of our lives. For me, it was a huge dream come true when she moved to Rome. And since Katie is a radio professional, we decided to do a podcast about the expat experience, both from her perspective as a short-termer and my perspective as a long-termer. In reality, it sort of expanded out from that to being something that people who love to travel like to listen to. And we even have listeners that would never, ever want to move overseas. (laughs) And just like thinking about the experience. Mm -hmm. They're armchair expats. Armchair expats, And we also have a a place in in our hearts dedicated to Caravaggio, who's our muse for this podcast. That's true. Actually, for me, in some ways, this podcast has become about letting go of the rope. Exploring what the world has to offer and all the possibilities that life has to offer. Because I moved to Rome last year and left a job, a very secure job that I'd had for over a decade with NPR and just let it go. And what an adventure it's been, right, Tiffany? Oh, yeah. You can't know where your life is going to lead if you never take risks. Right. I mean, you went to Rome 10 years ago and you didn't have a job. You didn't have any friends. No prospects. Nothing. No nothing. I had nothing but three DVDs and 15 books and clothes on my back and a yoga mat. That's about it. Wow, you brought a lot of books. <laughs> I shipped them. I shipped them, actually. Well, today, we're talking about crows. If you've been on our Twitter, at BittersweetPod, you might have noticed that we've gotten some attention about a little girl that I interviewed who feeds the crows, and the crows bring her shiny gifts in return. And so today, we want to play you part of my interview with her as we go through her collection. To see the reaction of so many people who were moved and touched just by a photo that you had taken and a one-sentence description of it was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. How did you even think to interview a girl about crows? Where in the world did that come from? Well, it all began when I interviewed this guy about feeding crows. My name is John Marsliff, and I'm a professor of wildlife science. Specializing in anything? Specializing in birds in particular, and maybe even more specialized onto crows and ravens and members of that family of birds. Do you feed crows personally? I don't personally. I had them coming into my feeder for a few years, but then, of course, being a scientist, I wanted to catch them, which I did, and I banded them, and they proceeded to blow me off for the rest of my career, and they are no longer coming into my yard. Occasionally, they nest in my uh, back acre, but... They don't come regularly to my bird feeder, and I don't carry food around and feed them, no. Was there a time when you would have, or do you think it's just not good practice to bait them in? I think it's fine to do it in most settings. You know, there may be some places where it would accentuate the population size or the distribution of the crows in a detrimental way for some other rarer species. I don't think that's the case in our suburban or urban settings. I don't worry about that so much here, but I can see in some places it might be a concern. Uh, For example, if you lived out in the Mojave Desert and you were doing this and you were changing the distribution of ravens there to be more coincident with desert tortoise populations, that would be a very bad thing to do. 
But around here, I don't think it is. I think it's actually a very interesting way for people to bond with some of the nature around them and to build tolerance for other animals. So I think it's a good thing in, in that respect. Why do you think some humans, I can't say all, would be tempted to feed crows? For some of us, there is this natural desire to um, bond with other forms of life. I mean, we have domestic animals for that reason. So I think when another animal in the wild, which crows do and most birds don't, when they try to engage you and they look at you and they sidle up to you and they don't immediately run away, people are tempted to you know, make that bond tighter. We often see crows picking through garbage, cleaning up the streets. Pigeons are doing the same thing. Why do you think we don't feel about pigeons like we do about crows? It's a very interesting question. I think some people do feel the same way about pigeons. Uh, some people go out of their way every day to go feed pigeons and enjoy their company. It's not on as personal a level, and maybe that's the difference. When you're feeding pigeons, you're feeding a flock of pigeons, and they're all there, and they're kind of all acting robotic. And you don't really pick out the individual that comes up to you and you know looks at you in a pleasing way and in an appealing way to try to get more out of you. They're just all milling about doing their thing down below. Whereas a crow is much more of a subtle response to you and an engaging individual response, one-on-one -on -one crow. And that's, you know, you might attract, if you feed a lot of crows, you might attract a group of four or five or 10 that even follow you around, but they're acting as individuals, not as a group. They're tackling the world a little differently. The worst thing a person could do would be go outside of their house and throw a rock at a group of crows. That's not a good thing to do. Um, as, it's a, even a worse thing to do is to go outside of your house and you see a young crow on the ground and, and trying to help you pick it up and take it somewhere. Because in the other crows' minds, you just killed that bird. You, you took it out of the flock and you're marked from that point on. And that, that does happen to a lot of well-intentioned people. What happens to them? For varying lengths of time, they are attacked by that group of crows outside of their house. One poor fella, well, several of them have literally had their lives ruined. They can't, they feel like they can't go outside anymore. When they do go outside, they're humiliated by the birds by swooping at them, attacking them. Either they're scared of that or all of the other people see this happening. They wonder, wow, what did that guy do? <laughs> One guy in particular was scolded for a couple of years as he went to and from the bus stop from his house after he had done that. You know, he just kind of snuck along whenever he saw the birds, but they would always find him. And he was more concerned with how his neighbors were perceiving him. And he eventually moved because of that. So it can ruin your life very literally. It can be a distraction at the least. Let's go the opposite. What's the best thing that I could do for a crow as far as if I want them to do something nice for me. Yeah, I mean, the best thing you can do if you want to form a bond with a crow is to be consistent in rewarding them for whatever the action is, but rewarding them with a few peanuts in the shell is a, one of the best things because they like that food. It's, it's a good high fat, high energy food. It makes noise when you throw it on the ground. So they hear it and, and they quickly habituate to your routine of, of dropping that food, whether it's at a certain time or along a certain route and they will follow you. A colleague, Mark Miller, and I here did a uh, research study on crows and the people that feed them. And, you know, we found distinct signals that the people give and distinct signals that the crows give back as well. And there's definitely a two-way communication going on there. And they understand each other's signals and they give signs to the people the way they fly over their head or perch up ahead of them or get close to them. 
for them to get fed. So that's the easiest, best way to do it for sure. Will it bring you a present if you keep feeding it? Uh, I can't say they always will. I have seen an awful lot of things crows have brought people. They do bring gifts. Whether it is always going to happen, I, I don't think so. But certain individual crows, the bond they form with that person might be even a kind of a courtship bond where they're bringing presents like they would to their mates. Courtship feeding, for example. So some people, their presents are dead baby birds that the crow brings in. Other people, they're beautiful pendants or shiny glass or trinkets of all, all sorts. And if you're lucky enough that the bird that really is conditioned to you is a gifter, then yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's like my dream. It's never happened. I know. But... It has never happened. I mean, I've never done it consistently enough to get that, but I have a seven-year-old kid who brought in her whole collection of things crows have given her. It's impressive. It is the probably 60 or 70 different items that she has cataloged that she has gotten wow. from when the birds have been in feeding at her place. So it's pretty amazing when you see the sorts of things that, that some people get. And I don't know why they get them and we don't, but... I would like to talk to that little girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's very interesting. So that's John Marsliff. And let me tell you, Gabby and her mother Lisa are really interesting. Here they are as we go through their crow gift collection. Oh, I'm Gabby's mother, Lisa, and uh, a co-feeder of the crows. <laughs> Gabby, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. I am Nature Girl! <laughs> oh yeah, I'm Gabby, the Gabriella, that's my real name, but you can call me Gabby if you want. And, but usually the crows call me Nature Girl, so if you want, that's my nickname. What is this that we're looking at? We are looking at, oh yeah, my favorites, over here. This, it's kind of like a keychain. They gave it to me and it says best, and I don't know if they have the part that says friend. <laughs> but they haven't given that to you yet? No. <laughs> and this is a heart from them. It's showing me how much they love me. And my second favorites, you will never believe your arms. They give me all the special stuff I, you could ever find. Like, I don't have a match to this earring, but I do have an earring from them. I do have another earring, but it's not a match. You could put this on for your college dance night. But then your boyfriend will say, these don't match. <laughs> what will you say? I'll say, this is from my friend Crows. You may take a few close looks, but don't touch. In this, it's a shiny rock from the seven seas. It looks like their feather, because it's shiny and it's black. And this is... I don't know what it is. For the most part, the, the common denominator is that they're shiny. <laughs> and small enough to fit in their mouth. But other than that, we don't know what some of these things are. And a bead. A yellow bead. How do you know that they're leaving these for you? We know this is from the crows because sometimes they're rusted and dirty. It had nothing that a, that a person would carry around. 
And do they leave them in particular places, or do you just find them on the ground? Um, yeah, sometimes in the bird feeders and stuff, so we can find them. The feeders on the tables, and sometimes you'd see, um, especially next to the water bowls, some small little doodad um, sitting there. This is a rusty screw, and I don't like to touch this very much. That one's labeled third favorite. Why is yeah. that your third favorite? Because I think you don't see a crow carrying around a screw that much, unless it's trying to build its house. This should be put in a museum. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a crow carry Legos, but yes, it's a Lego piece. I think they made this. It looks cool. It's two pieces that are stuck together. I think they know my favorite color. Which is? Blue. They know that I like Lego, shiny things. Wow, they are my type. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She's adorable. She is. She really is. I have so much more good tape for her. We might have to have her appear on the podcast again. Yeah, as a live guest. <laughs> as a live guest or next week, maybe I'll just pull another wonderful thing she said about crows and we'll just throw it in into the show. I would never have thought that a crow would have the personality and the memory, quite honestly, to do something like that. It's, it's adorable. I totally agree. And if you think that's something, let me play you one other piece of this interview. This is Gabby's mother, Lisa, recounting a story that I think you'll find pretty ridiculous. I walk around with my holster and it has two cameras on it. And I was out taking pictures of a bald eagle. I knew I'd drop my one lens cap when I switched out cameras, and I just was busy taking pictures, and I didn't remember to pick it back up when I walked back home. And so about an hour later, I went out back to go retrieve it, and a crow had actually put it on the side of one of the bird baths. I looked at the surveillance video to find out if it was a crow that put it back, and it had put it back. You can see it bringing it into the yard, walks it to the birdbath and actually spends time rinsing this lens cap. And then it puts it on the side of the birdbath. It's very impressive. What do you make of that? I'm sure that it was intentional. They watch us all the time. If I walk down the alley, there'll be you know six or seven that just fly down the alley and see what I'm up to. The same with Gabby when she's out they will watch what she's doing. Uh, even if you're not feeding them, they're just watching. I'm sure they knew I dropped it. I'm sure they decided they wanted to return it. So what do you make of that? <laughs> that is crazy. Birds with a conscience, not even a conscience, birds who are like altruistic and helpful. I love it. They're giving back. Yeah, it's, it, I don't even think it's giving, I think the gifts might be giving back, trying to reciprocate. I think the lens cap, though, is even more because it's not a gift, but it's something really thoughtful. It's like saying, oh, these people who are good to me dropped something and I'm going to pick it up for them and clean it off for them. I mean, it's, it's even more impressive than the reciprocation of a gift. I've been trying to get the crows around my house to give me a present for a really long time. And it's because of this guy, Tony Angel. He's a sculptor, artist. He's the author of a book called Gifts of the Crow, which he actually wrote with John Marsliff, who we heard earlier in the show. And I went to his house and I asked him if he fed his own crows. 
I don't feed my crows. Well, you were the one that told me that they might bring me a present if I feed them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not so far. <laughs> How long? Well, wait a minute. You haven't been back that long. so <clears throat> this... well, It's been about six months, and before I left, I was feeding them. Yeah, but then there was a hiatus. And they said, <laughs> well, what's the point? He's gone, right? Yeah, now you got to start all over again. Come on, be patient. I don't think uh, Gary Clark, the guy that we write up in our book, the guy who was given that little candy heart, remember that, that was on his bird feeder, and since then he's gotten all kinds of little trinkets. He'd been feeding him for years before something showed up, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I, I think the frequency of gifts showing up is great enough to put credibility in, into the fact that that the crow may be practicing some form of reciprocity, you know, uh, return something. They gift one another as species. A male uh, will gift the female. This is not unique to, to crows. Uh, other birds do it too, just to demonstrate their capacity to be a provider. If they gift, they may be just trying to keep the pump primed as another way of saying it. I've never been gifted. Sometimes... I get irritated with crows because crows, because of something I did a long time ago, still dislike me around here and let me know about it. What did you do? <laughs> well, when I had my screech owls nesting, uh, oh, by the way, did I tell you I have a book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> do tell, do tell. The House of Owls? Well, I'll tell you about that later, but... <laughs> Um, when the young owls are fledging, those murder of crows would assemble, and definitely they were determined to take out those youngsters, and they could, they could do it. I weighed in in defense of, of the owls, and they never forgot it. They saw me down there on the trail by the nesting tree and saw that I was hostile towards them. So they remember the guy in the hat who goes out to get the paper early in the morning and will stand up on a, they, I, I don't even know if it's the same, it couldn't be the same, this was many, many years ago. But there are traditions that, that crows will continue. And those traditions are taught to their children. They're, they're like, you know, humans will create stereotypes about other people. Oh, you can't trust that guy because of the color of his shoes or something, you know, or uh, watch out for that person because of this, that, and the other thing. And, and even though that person may have no firsthand experience, they will be wary because somebody in authority told them. And I have that experience with the crows here, and they irritate me when, they, when I go to get the paper. Have you found that any amount of bribery will turn your reputation over time? If you just go out and bring them their favorite, a dish of scrambled eggs every morning. <laughs> well, that's a strategy I never tried. There was an occasion, which you may find pretty strange, but this is the way I perceived it. A crow showed up here when I was painting the front porch. It was a young crow, very friendly, and so I go back in and I brought out some food and quickly ate it like a, a young fledgling bird would. And so I figured, well, this must be somebody's crow that is out and about. Well, I continued to paint and put the paint down. 
Next thing I know, the damn crow is into the paint can, flicking paint all over the porch in all different directions, seeming to have a great time doing it. <laughs> and not drinking it, thank God, but just flicking it around. And I chased it off, and it flew up on the roof and came down again. And this time, it landed on my shoulder. What is this? It's a dream come true. <laughs> or it's a nightmare, depending on how you feel well, about crows, right? It, yeah. I, I, and it started to remind me of a friend of mine who used to live next door, a real character who would flick painter, you know, a guy who was just mischievous. I had the guy on my mind because he had been ill. He'd moved back to Santa Fe. So the next day, sure enough, the crow is out there again, just hanging on my shoulder, go all the way around the house, come in the other door. I don't know whether the bird could smell the food, had seen it or something, but when I went to turn and go in the other direction, the crow grabbed my ear out of what seemed like a, a moment of anger. I didn't provoke it at all. And I said, whoa, I'm not going to the kitchen. Okay, let's go to the kitchen. We went into the kitchen. He calmed down. I got him some food. We came back out. And by God, you know, it was, it was great. It was like he knew where the kitchen was. And you can see how hokey this sounds. The next day, after two days, I got a call from Santa Fe that my friend Fred had died three days before. And so you think he came to you in a crow form? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying <clears throat> that it made me think about how crows, if they're willing, and this one was certainly willing, kind of get under your reservations and make you start thinking about other things. It gave me a kind of a personal reflection on crows that I'd never had before and I've never had since. But I, I found because I had that little skirting moment that I'm more willing to listen to some of what obviously are really hokey, wild kinds of expectations and imaginations over crows. But it, it happened here. Yeah, got a picture of them on my shoulder to prove it. Well, I'm starting to think that maybe there is something magical about crows. All of these stories from all of these different people, and this is just a few people, and the reaction that we got from so many people on Twitter makes you think, there, there's something about crows. There is something about crows. When you look back in history, even cave paintings have things that look like crows in them. There's been this human attraction to what crows are doing and crow attraction to what we're doing for a really, really, really long time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely given me a lot to think about. Well, we can explore it again in a future episode, and I do think we should pull a little more Gabby tape for the future, just because she's so interesting and cute. Yeah, maybe we can do a show on animals in general, encounters with animals, particularly when you're traveling outside of your own part of the world, when you encounter new animals that you are not used to. Until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. See you next week. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com. Find us on Twitter at bittersweetpod. And if you're interested in supporting the show, donate to us to keep the show alive. You'll find a donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And we're considering sponsorship. So if you're a sponsor and you're interested in reaching travelers and expats, 
send us an email to get the conversation rolling. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs>